0: Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1960 film *Breathless*. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great, Sam. Uh, Barrett, I have to say you picked uh, you picked a winner this week. Uh, this was uh, this is a movie that I watched twice this week. So when 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 as we talk about this, I wanted I'm going to talk about both my first viewing and my second viewing because they were very different in terms of how. Uh, how this film hit me. Uh, But let's start off, what is your history with this film specifically and your history with uh, Godard in general?
1: Yeah, I don't think I was, I had paid much attention to the French New Wave before I started teaching. So my relationship to the film specifically is, as I was preparing to teach film history, I, I knew that I needed to bone up on the French New Wave so that was probably when I first watched uh, the film. I mean, I was aware of Godard before that. I remember um, when I was in uh, college, I guess it would have been when his film Hail Mary came out, a uh, very controversial film. And uh, I remember seeing the poster, but I've never seen the film. Uh, and so that's when I sort of became aware of Godard. And it was sort of in the back of my mind, but it really wasn't until uh, 2005 or so that I first saw the film.
0: So So, uh, who is he? What is the French New wave? Uh, are there things that are characteristic of of French new wave films? or is it just like a group of filmmakers at a particular time in a particular place? or are there things about them?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the, the answer to that question, Sam, is kind of yes and yes. Um, there are some people who think of the French New wave as a as a coherent movement. And there are some people who think of the French New Wave as a label just been applied to a disparate group of filmmakers who simply seem to have arisen at about the same time. So there's kind of different ways of thinking about it, but the the New Wave really originates in um, French film clubs after World War II. Um, uh, This same kind of group of uh, film critics who were watching uh, a lot of Hollywood films and kind of, as we've talked about in the past, they kind of um, christened film noir, noir. And you can see the influence of film noir clearly in, in Breathless. So there's a whole bunch of young filmmakers slash critics, Godard among them, Truffaut, Eric Romer, Claude Chabral, uh, uh, Jacques Rivette. Um, and they all are writing about film f- from the late 40s to early 50s. And then they all start making films. Um, and. Uh, Truffaut, in particular, wrote an essay in 1954 called A Certain Tendency of French Cinema, which was seen as a kind of a broadside against the prevailing French establishment of movie making, which was very, um, it was called the cinema of, of quality. Uh, and it, uh, it, it, they were very kind of Hollywood-like films with um, uh, all kinds of high production values and a reliance often on kind of very literary scripts. Uh, And people like Truffaut, and he was good friends at the time with Godard, they really rebelled against these films um, because they felt that they didn't really represent reality, that they didn't really privilege the image. They were really about the words that were sort of being, and the the image was illustrating the words. They were at the same time being influenced not just by Hollywood noir, but they were being influenced by uh, uh, the neorealists. You know, earlier we watched Bicycle Thieves. Another one of their favorite neorealists was Rossellini, uh, who had directed Open City in 1946. So collectively, even if their styles are quite different, collectively, they were all concerned with making uh, movies that in some ways were much more um, in touch with reality than they felt that the current uh, French film industry was. They thought that there was very kind of false and artificial and they wanted to do something that really breathed with life. So that's, I think that's kind of the general umbrella sense of, of, of the new wave. We could also talk a little bit about, you see this in Breathless, the fact that the films are made um, on the cheap. Uh, they're made with very short shooting schedules. Breathless was only about four weeks. They used location shooting because they didn't have access to studios. They tended to use new or lesser known actors because they were cheaper, smaller production crews, natural lighting, handheld cameras, often you could say kind of documentary uh, methods. Stories tended to be kind of lo- loosely organized. In fact, um, almost, um, uh, almost uh, composed on the spot. For example, Jean Seberg talks about how frustrating it was for her to work with Goddard after having done a couple of Hollywood films. So in that very long bedroom scene, she doesn't even have her lines ahead of time. They're shouting her lines to her from off camera, and then she's having to deliver them. Uh, so, uh, so kind of an emphasis on, on spontaneity uh, that Godard is going for. And, but paradoxically, at the same time, Godard wants to make a film, and he's very conscious, self-conscious about this. He wants to make a film that makes you realize you're looking at a film. So when we say realistic, we're not saying that's like neorealism. We're not saying documentary realism. We're saying realism, but realism at the same time that's aware that it's artifice. So it's really a very different way of thinking about film in 1960 than what people have been doing up to that point.
0: That's really interesting because the only other film that I've seen uh, from the French New Wave was over our our summer break from video store. I watched uh, 400 Blows, which is Truffaut. And that feels so much more like um, Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. That, that i mean and 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 this was so i was thinking okay well in my head that's what french new wave was was just like a french version of that and then i saw this and i was like whoa this is like style this is stylistically so different and like you said this is so conscious of being a movie um and, and in 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 lots and in lots of different ways um this is so clearly a movie that that uh loves movies that's interested in movies um as you talked about you know gadar is a is a film critic for for quite a while before he makes this movie right through the 50s he's writing film criticism and then so it's interesting to think of like film critic turned filmmaker somebody who um, has a passion about film and then gets a chance to start to make films um and it's so also clearly a filmmaker who who has lived his life watching watching films so it's so Kind of aware uh, aware of it it reminds me of um i mean not the film itself but the idea of filmmakers who are so steeped in the history in in, like the history of film or their experience with film it reminds me of listening to interviews with people like spike lee or quentin tarantino where they're just constantly like they're excited about the idea of film so much and what they saw and and the energy they want to put into to making a movie i think one of the ironies of that is that this is a movie where twice the characters go to the movies, and neither time do they actually watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: of course, both, both, well, both times they're going to movies, which are in two of the genres that most influence Godard, right? They go to uh, Whirlpool, which is a uh, great noir, and then I, I forget the name of the western they go to, although the dialogue is French, but it's a, it's a, it's a western. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Tarantino because, you know, one of the things that we could talk about with Godard is um, kind of the endless stream of filmmakers that he's influenced. Um, I mean, if you look at any list, you'll have, I mean, I I looked at several lists and there's several and there's many different directors on these lists and and, and some directors I would put on the list that weren't even included. Um, Ebert said in his essay about Breathless that it's the most influential film since Citizen Kane um and some people have said there were movies before breathless and there were movies after breathless it's just it's it's kind of a shock wave uh in in a, in a sense and it doesn't mean there weren't other folks doing things a little bit similar but um the way that Godard grabbed attention just kind of really shook people up um i want to say one more thing though before we get off this topic Godard is a film critic Godard says he's never stopped being a film critic he just says that now he's a critic by he he he, he he's a critic through making films And that's one of the, one of the reasons why the films are self-aware themselves as films, because they are simultaneously, uh, creation artifacts and they are a comment on the art of making that particular artifact. Um, and that's really what fascinates Godard about, about doing it. He loves to figure out rules and then, and then, and then break them.
0: So I want to talk about my two experiences watching this film because it's because of the nature of of really the time of day that I watched them and what my life looks like, I had two radically different experiences watching it. So the first, my first viewing was Monday night. I had worked 12 hours at Bethel. I came home, ate dinner. It was eight o'clock and I was like, okay, I I really need to watch this because we're going to be recording this week. So I started it at eight and anybody who knows me knows I should never start a movie at eight. I was really tired. So I was, my first viewing of the film, it's almost as if the, storyline didn't like, like I was, it was, I was so, I had struggled to track with the story because I think I kept periodically like dozing on just lines. Like I would stop reading and all of a sudden it's like, wait, I don't know what people said. I rewound a lot. So my first viewing of it was totally about formalism. I was, all I was thinking about was like the shots and the cuts and the camera movements and all those things. And, but my, when I finished it, I thought, man, I don't really know much about i wasn't sure i felt like well does this have like much of a story or or not because it's totally it was totally my fault and then i watched it um the next morning i watched it at 6 a.m and was sharp and my overall takeaway was oh this has like a really great story it's really interesting um and and i still i still saw all the like the the cuts and the tracking shots and all that stuff was exciting but it was exciting in the context of feeling like i could focus on the characters and the stories more because my brain was ready for it. Now what's interesting about that is i feel like this movie is deeply interesting whichever track you want to go to if you want to talk about it visually it's amazing and fascinating. I actually think the story is really fascinating. I think the characters are really really interesting. Um so so maybe to start with just thinking about this film uh this film visually cuz i'll also so my first viewing the things that i uh noticed the most was just like how the camera is never st- almost never still mm-hmm. right it's always been, it's and it's a lot of or maybe it's entirely handheld i mean they do some some interesting ways to do tracking shots but you have shots from cars shots of people in cars shots of cars shots of you know just every it, like the everything is is visually propulsive because what you're looking at never stops moving um yeah, it and goes,
1: it, it's breathless right
0: yes yes and <laughs> what's interesting is that's true whether you're zooming across paris in a car or whether you're in that 25 minute scene that's in this mm-hmm. small apartment the mm-hmm. camera still never mm-hmm. stops moving and i like and so that was just thrilling to me to watch
1: it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, 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 per, it's propulsive, and I think that part of, part of the effect of that is that even in that 25-minute bedroom scene, which could be completely static, you, you, get the, you get this really strong sense of time. You know, I, I think what, what, one of the things that Godard really draws attention to um, is the temporal nature of filmmaking, and of course, that's what film is, right? Um, in fact, Godard famously said that photography is truth and film is truth 24 times a second. Um, so he's really, he's really interested in, in film as a, as a temporal medium. And that's, that is a really fascinating thing is a little bit of an aside because one of the, one of the great kind of figures for the new wave is uh, the, the, uh, seminal French critic Andre Bazan. Uh, and, and Bazan was a, was a great promoter of filmmakers like Renoir and, and, and Wells in particular, and the new wave folks really loved Orson Welles. Um, for a reason I'll go into in just a minute. But Bazan was very big on long takes and, uh, and deep focus, because he felt that those were film and techniques that actually uh, showed respect for the nature of reality. Bazan was actually also deeply Catholic in his approach to films. So it's really interesting that Kadar, who was kind of a Bazan, Bazan disciple, isn't hesitant about cutting up space. Uh, more in the interest of, of time. Uh and so I think that's the reality that he's particularly interested in is is the reality of time passing. Uh and time that uh, you know, those cuts, those temporal cuts that he makes all, all, all the time, just to keep things moving.
0: Yeah, and 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 those are those are things that also remind you you're watching a movie. Like, like he's well, constantly breaking the suspension of disbelief kind of thing. Like like it's 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 this movie that's engrossing and in part because it's a lot of people having conversations, but those cuts keep reminding you, this is like kind of, this is artifice and this is art. This is not, I mean, it's both real, but it's also this creative thing. Like I found that really, um, really, really interesting. Also that mean the opening of the movie, um, my, my first impression was, and this sort of speaks to the kind of doing it on the, the cheap a little bit too, is like, there's like continuity things that don't, exactly makes sense in terms of how things look um Mm -hmm. and it's like and that's from almost the first shots of the movie and Mm -hmm. then you get to him driving from Marseille to paris and he's talking to the camera and i was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out is he talking to a person in the car and then i realized no he just stole this car we watched him steal it he's the only one in it so he's talking to the viewer Mm -hmm. and yeah and it and and then it it made it just all this stuff happens and, and and you're trying to like even the the killing of the the police officer at the beginning even the way that that's shot like there, there's there's weird continuity that like like where the where the police officer pulls up then it cuts to the gun i mean it, it's it's shot the way that i would shoot something if i was like well i can't actually do this shot so what so you have to do all these cuts and then when the police officer falls it's like well he's in a, this weird spot in the wood. like it doesn't it's like he's not concerned about what exactly is this going to look like? And then you get this amazing shot of him sprinting across the countryside. I loved something about that. I (laughs) loved that shot because that sort of told me something about Michelle as well. Um, And uh, so, so, so you get, you get all of those things and then you get, and then you get into Paris and um, then you start to get all these shots that are literally them driving around in cars, shooting Paris. This is also a great movie of, of Paris being a character and I will say Paris is one of my favorite cities in the world <laughs> I've had the chance to go there six times and it's just like I loved in the same way actually 400 Blows features Paris in a particular kind of way this features it in another kind of way
1: yeah Godard Goud- claimed uh, he was wrong but he claimed that he was the first filmmaker to shoot on the Champs-Élysées um, but that's okay um, so you, you, mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things Sam that I think are worth talking about um, in that Uh, the new wave was in the new wave filmmakers were admirers of Bergman Um, but I'm also thinking about the fact that I think as far as I know Breathless is the first film I'm aware of that broke that fourth wall uh, and had characters speak directly to the camera which Bergman then picks up in Winter Light uh, just two years later so you have this idea that they're influenced by Bergman but then Bergman influence that then they influence uh, Bergman Um, and of course as you just pointed out you know continuity editing is one of those hollywood conventions that um is invisible to the viewer right because it's such a convention we don't realize that it's a convention and so that's exactly what um exactly what godar wants to make us see so i, I actually went back and watched the uh, the shooting of the policeman twice uh, even though i've seen it many times before it's still the 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 editing that he does there is is amazing right michelle michelle uh reaching into the dashboard a close-up of the gun this sh- the the sound of the shot which is slightly out of sync with the policeman falling into the bushes which is not it's not clear how it's spatially related to the car uh and then michelle sprinting is just that across acro- across the field um it's it's going for the maximum emotional impact on the viewer. It's not about, I want you to be able to imagine exactly where we are in, in, in space, space and time. The other thing I want to say along these lines, uh, having mentioned Bergman, uh, I said earlier that the um, new wave directors were great admirers of Wells, uh, and this also came from Bazan, and that is they are prime proponents of the auteur theory. Auteurism really rises with the, with the French New Wave, so to speak. Um, and the American directors that they admired, people like Nicholas Ray, uh, for example, um, you know, Ray was not considered in the first rank of American directors or Sam Fuller, but these were directors that um, the New Wave uh, directors saw as those who put a very strong personal stamp on their films. And so, if there's anything we could say that characterizes a new wave film, it's that it bears the very strong mark of its uh, of its director. And one of the new wave theorists um, talked about the idea that the camera is a pen, and the director writes with with the pen. So that's one of the kind of shared assumptions they make about filmmaking that it is very much the vision of the director.
0: And I, one other thing in the, in this, there were some shots that made me think of of. Uh later bergman like like persona bergman is that like there's all this this sense of like moving around these real spaces i mean my favorite my favorite scene in the movie in terms of visually is when he goes to the travel agency Mm. and it's this this long tracking shot of him i mean uh i have lots of issues with michelle as a character like (laughs) as a human being but like man, does he make that guy look cool as he's walking through there? I mean, and that's the stuff that feels like Tarantino a little bit too, is this long tracking shot of him walking from one conversation tracking. And all of a sudden we're in another conversation and then he leaves and the police walk in. And we're so like, I feel like we learn, um, we learn the space of that office. So I I love that. So he has all kinds of that stuff where but then he also has these like, I think there's two or three shots of, of, People kissing, and it's mm-hmm. this like weird tight co- close up, as if he's taking like a uh an art photograph of this. Yes. It reminds me of Persona, the way that Bergman plays with the two faces sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like the two faces; it's almost not not human beings. It's something else. And you because it's so tight, and and it's not like how people kiss. Like it's like well. you told them to just stand still in that spot, and I want to just get really tight on those faces. So even so, even that is this thing that sort of pulls you out of, uh, pulls you out of that. But, and now all of a sudden you're look. it feels like you're looking at a, a piece of, of still visual art within the movie.
1: Well, that makes sense. I mean, because that's one of the emphases in, uh, Patricia's apartment is the emphasis on art. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's shots of Picasso, uh, Picasso pieces. And there's a sense in which what he is doing with his temporal, with his, uh, spatial editing is he is, he is being a kind of a cubist about the way he's cutting up reality. But you also have her um, trying to figure out the best place for the Renoir print, which is great because that, of course, is Jean Renoir's father, Auguste Renoir. Uh, And so I think that's a way of the Godard is cleverly alluding to to another great filmmaker uh, through his father.
0: Another thing I'll say about this movie, uh, and, and I think I've talked before about how, how there's, there's, there's t- different types of art that I love. I love the, I love the art that kind of blows me away and I just can't even, uh, well, I'll use persona as an example. Cause that's, I think one of my favorite things we watch, like I watch that and I just think like, this is this monument that I can't understand how he made this kind of, you know, um, In the same way, I think of like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. This is the kind of art that makes me want to make art. I mean, how do I don't know how you don't watch this movie and think I kind of want to pick up a camera and start filming. Like I want to make a movie when I watch this, and and you know, and I so I can understand. You know, I I, again I know Tarantino references Godard a lot. We just in, in interviews I've heard with him, and it's like, oh, I imagine somebody watching these, watching a movie like this, and saying. I, I just, I need to go make a movie. I need to get some people together and we'll figure out where we're going to do this and we're going to make a movie. Like, like this, I, I feel excited about this uh, when I watch this movie. So, so to me, that's that's high praise for uh, for a piece of art that makes people want to create art.
1: Yeah, that's a great inspiration as long as those people know how to do it, because um, it's also easy to make a really bad movie in the style of Breathless. Um, I think another great influence uh, uh, from Godard was uh, Martin Scorsese. Um, I think about that scene in the travel agency you, you alluded to, and I think about, say, the traveling shots in Goodfellas. Uh, for example. Or just the fact that, you know, Scorsese early on, I mean, throughout, throughout his career, you know, he's made films that are very much in touch with certain kinds of nitty-gritty reality. Think about Mean Streets, one of his earlier features. You know, those are things that I think uh, that Godard, uh makes makes possible, as you said.
0: Um, another thing that that's was interesting about this was that on the Criterion channel, they had a bunch of features, and one was with um, uh, Pennebaker, the documentary Mm -hmm. filmmaker talking about this and like how uh i i read a couple books on documentary filmmaking a few years ago and they were talking about like the sort of what it was actually pennebaker talking about like what happened when they started to get lighter cameras that you could that you could hold by hand and how you could get into positions and and film things in different kinds of ways so clearly even like where the camera technology was allowed for um, for them to do things because clearly like you know in the same way uh bicycle thieves the Sicca is not those aren't extras out on the street he's just catching moments of things happening like this i i presume some of the big street scenes are not these sort of fully organized you know we're making a movie but this is happening and we're on the ground making a movie in in the midst of it you know so, like especially like the the shot of the um the car pulling away when it's like it's it's clearly from like an apartment window um, mm-hmm, you, see, mm-hmm. you see the 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 car with um patricia and the the guy from the newspaper pulling away mm-hmm. and it's like that's such a that's such a cool shot of just like we're just shooting traffic you know? <laughs> um I, I will say i this is a movie that i know is from the things that i read is so much referencing other films and i will say i felt like i don't always know what those references are are there things that jump out to you in terms of sort of clear quotes or references that this film is making i mean i i know things like obviously the the humphrey bogart like the uh the persona of of him probably across films is is in here as michelle is lo- even you know lovingly looking at this picture of bogey for a while and then the He's clearly putting on a persona himself there. But are there other things that are, are are very obvious to you or you're like that this is making a reference to these other things?
1: Yeah, I think that the two most obvious ones for me, Sam, are um, and I, I mentioned I may have mentioned this briefly last week, but there is a uh, a lot of the handheld camera stuff from the back of the car or the back of the taxi. Um, especially the scene when um, Patricia and Michelle are in the taxi, and he's trying yet again to get his money. And he gets out of he gets out of the taxi, and the the camera stays in inside the, the taxi. You see him in distance. He comes back in. I have to believe that that's a direct quote from Gun Crazy. Um, uh, Gun Crazy is a 1950 film uh, from one of the uh, no, noirs, uh, and there's a, a bank robbery scene in which the uh, the getaway car pulls up to the bank and the robbers get out and the camera stays in, 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 in the back of the car the whole time. And I'm sure that Godard is quoting that. Um, the other clear quote to me, and this was also pointed out in one of the Criterion Extras, um, again, reminding our audience to subscribe to the Criterion channel. Uh, one of the Criterion Extras is a, a visual quote from 40 Guns, which is a really interesting Sam Fuller Western. I saw it at uh, Minneapolis's Trial on Cinema uh, several years ago. Uh, and it's the scene where Patricia rolls up the poster and looks at Michelle through, through the poster, and then you get the subjective viewpoint, of her, her viewpoint on him. Uh, that's a visual quote from 40 Guns, but in 40 Guns, the character's looking down the barrel of a rifle uh, at, at, at the woman, and then you get a reverse shot. So those are at least a couple of the places where I think that, you know, Godard is very definitely giving us a very specific references. Uh, then uh, there's a generic reference to early silent film with the iris in and the iris out. Uh, and that's, and that's part of Godard saying, you know, I know film history, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's American films or whether it's European films or whether it's silent films, I know film history. And I'm going to remind you of that.
0: I even thought some of, um, uh, Michelle's, uh, uh, Jean-Paul Bellamondo's like physical acting at certain moments uh there's there's some shots where he's not saying anything and he's kind of alone doing things um like there's a part where he's walking around with the newspaper and then he shines his shoes with it like that feels like a like a silent movie kind of like Mm. physical acting thing because there's there's really no reason for that in there but it but it it felt like like if he had turned around and been charlie chaplin and then did something i would have been like oh yeah that seems right like um so 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 I, i i felt like like there were moments where where i kind of felt that in him i will say on my second viewing of this film i want to pivot now to more kind of the story narrative mm-hmm. of the of the movie that really jumped out um at me you know in part because this movie has basically no exposition to it there is no like moment where somebody's kind of laying out here's you know here is here's an explanation for things that are happening um but there's a lot to it i mean this this reminds me of reading a really good short story or novella where there's lots of things indicated by things people say and if you as you kind of piece it together you you get little pieces of backstory and things like that but they're they just come in these in this in fragments much the way you know if we're kind of going back to cubism or realism much the way life happens to us where Rarely is some does somebody sit you down and explain everything, but you're kind of collecting information about little pieces about Michelle, little pieces about Patricia, um, and their life. Um, but the big thing that jumped out at me upon the second viewing was, and and then reflecting on it was how much Patricia really is the central character of this movie to me. Where I think the first time I watched it, I I because so much of this, you know, it, it begins and ends with um with michelle and i and i just realized like how central patricia is in terms of being like a like the most interesting character to me um and it's in part because i think about this story as her continually encountering people and particularly men who kind of have designs on her life um who are sort of telling her like uh kind of telling her what they want her to be or 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 what what uh, or, or, or you know having um again having designs her life, almost like they're casting her in the story of the movie that is their life so michelle you know tells her the story of the uh uh the guy who who takes the woman to the riviera because she thinks he's he's really rich and then he ends up telling her that he's not and but how she stays with him and they end up robbing houses it's, it feels like okay he's trying to cast her in a movie in sort of a bonnie and clyde style movie of like this this like cause, I assume that's what going away to Rome is going to be. You have the guy from the newspaper who tells her about the dream that he has, clearly casting her in that dream to set up uh, a romantic uh, affair between them. You have uh, her parents <laughs> casting this vision on her of she needs to you know, go to the Sorbonne. You have the police officer casting her as the informer. Um, and so much of the story then pivots ends up pivoting around what is the choice that she's going to make. Um, But then she also has dreams for herself. She wants to be a writer and talks about that. Um, And what I love is that her decision at the end to call the police is less about, it's not about her having fear. I don't think about the sort of threat that the policeman makes about, you don't want to have passport trouble, do you? But it's more about like, you know, she keeps saying this, this line of, you know, I, I, I need to know whether I love you. So I'm going to, and she says that about the guy from the newspaper. She says that about, um, about Michelle. Uh, And I just, I I find that story of, of people like projecting things onto her, but, but her character having seemingly a, 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 a lot of agency in terms of wanting to decide for herself what she's going to do. I really liked that story within this story.
1: I think that's really an interesting way to think about it um Sam because I think that the movie actually has I think it's it's two different movies depending on which character you focus on. So so you know if you focus on Michelle it is it is a a film noir uh and Michelle is a um he's both a protagonist and an antagonist at the same time. And he's, he's not a guy that you can, you can approve of by any means, obviously, but there, there's a kind of um, maybe innocence is the wrong word, but there's a kind of just reflexiveness about the way he, and, and casualness with which he commits crime. It's just, I, I steal cars. I walk around, I steal cars, I steal money. Um, and you know, in the first scene with the first girlfriend where he, she offers him money, he says, no thanks. And then she turns her back, and he steals the money out of her purse anyway. It's 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 just like he can't. He he almost like a child. He just he just acts these things out, and he and he is actually entirely sincere in his love for Patricia. I mean, so the so so, so the guy he has a kind of genuineness about him, even in his even in his criminality, um, and he's even kind of tired of it at the end, right? I mean, essentially, it's a suicide that he commits. I mean, it's sort of de- you know death by cop. Um, so that's one story. And then there's Patricia's story. And to, to what you said, I would add a couple things. One is that, um, it's the, the story. looks at first as though it's set up as, okay, she's the 20th century version of Daisy, uh, of, of uh, of, um, Daisy Miller, uh, Henry James is, uh, ingenue in Europe. So it's the, the classic. You know, innocent American and the sophisticated European. But actually that's kind of reversed. It turns out that she's actually the one who's a little more in some ways sophisticated than than Michelle is. She's the one that's got I mean yeah, he's hiding certain things from her, but she's hiding other things other things from him. And I I see this in terms of the conversation in the in the airport with Jean-Pierre Melville, one of the one of the great kind of forerunners of the new wave. He's not usually put in the new wave, but he's kind of like on the sidelines, big influence on the new wave. He makes a lot of films, films noir. Anyway, that free ranging conversation with him, the focus really is gender roles, right? And he talks about the fact that American women dominate men and French women don't do that yet. And if you look at that in terms of Michelle and Patricia's relationship, what happens is the American woman ends up dominating the, dominating the French man. And I think the other thing that's going on with Patricia's story is um, the influence of Jean-Paul Sartre and existentialism. She is an existentialist. And uh, in for existentialism, existence precedes essence. Right. So it's not do I love Michelle? Therefore, what do I do? it's what do I do and that will show whether or not I love, I love Michelle so she's on an existential journey um, and 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 he's and and he's he's maybe on a different kind of existential journey but he has no question about who he is and what he believes and what he loves but she has no idea so she's trying out a bunch of different actions in order to see how they will then affect her character rather than vice versa
0: yeah two, two things about what you said that I that I really love I love that you talked about how she's um, you expect her to be this sort of figure of innocence, but she's not, but, but she's like, this isn't a story about will she lose her innocence? She's I mean, in some ways she doesn't have that, right? She doesn't, even when they're talking about, you know, how many lovers they had, it's, you know, you, like she's counting up these numbers. She even has two, basically two affairs in the, in the story, right? She goes out with this guy, she goes out with this guy. So it's, so, so she's sort of freer in that way. What I love about Michelle though, is, there's a part of me as a story was going along to be like, are you, I mean, I, we see you steal cars and we see you shoot this guy, but like, are you really this like criminal underworld figure or is this just something you're putting on and you know, you do, th- but it seems like at the end that the uh, the money that Antonio's bringing is real. Like I always, mm. I just uh, kept assuming he was lying about like, I've got to, these guys owe me money. I got to get this so I can leave. But, Antonio shows up with a bag at the end, which I presume has. So it's like, that's what, that was a moment where I'm like, oh, maybe I've been underestimating him too. Cause I th- I thought of him as, as kind of a, a poser in some of these things, maybe like a, a petty car thief, but not really something else. It was like, well, I have seen him kill somebody. I have seen now these other things. And, it, and, 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 you know, even like he very casually like takes that, takes the one guy out in the bathroom to steal mm-hmm. his money. And you're like, Actually this guy's maybe more dangerous than I than I'm thinking. Like I think he's like a uh somebody who's, you know, pretending to be a character from a movie and it's like, well, maybe he's actually living that out more. So I love those little moments, but at the same time you're right, he does seem uh he does seem more like youthful both in terms of immaturity but also this kind of youthful energy where um which leads him to act where uh Patricia seems more contemplative kind of like she's she answers she she answers questions by like oh i need to think about this um you know so so he wants to he wants to be on the move and she wants to sort of slow down and think about things um i'm interested in the question uh when they're in the the apartment and she's reading from faulkner and, and she reads the line between grief and nothing i choose grief and she seems to be in agreement with that and michelle says grief is compromise i'll choose nothing um what does that say about those characters?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question, Sam. Because you might think, well, if 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 he if he'll choose nothing, maybe he's the existentialist, and and and, and she's and she's not. I think I, I think it tell I think it tells you that um, he really is. You know, he talks earlier also in the film about you know it's double or nothing. I mean, he really he really is a guy who there's no uh, there's no kind of in between for Michelle. He lives at extremes. If I can't have it all, I don't I I, I don't want any of it. Um, she thinks that she will choose. Well, she does choose grief, right? She chooses grief at the end uh, when she chooses to, uh, to 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 betray him, and uh, and and the film ends with his those final words. So I think it tells you that um, she he's he's committed to his life one way or the other, and she is um, she's as you said earlier, she's she's contemplative. Um, I mean, grief grief is a contemplative emotion, and that's what she's willing to choose.
0: Um, one of the other things that runs throughout the movie, which, and again, this speaks to how tired I was the first time I watched it, is I didn't pick up on how often Michelle says something and she says, what is, like, she's she's so, that she's, like, trying to learn, I mean, she knows French, but it's like she's trying to learn his language. What does this thing mean when you say yes. that? What does that mean? Um, uh, and which runs throughout the movie, and then obviously is the ending line of the movie. Um, which as I read about it, there's lots of, uh, uh, speculation on like, what exactly does that mean when, you know, what he says. So I'm curious, um, I presume we watched the same trans or the same subtitled version of it, yeah, but I've read, yes. I've read things where it's subtitled differently in terms of, um, this is disgusting or this makes me want to puke or, you know, or, other or... things. Yeah.
1: Or, or it's a scumbag. That's, yeah. that's, 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 yeah. So, um, what I, what I know about it is the Criterion translation is seen as maybe the loosest. So, disgusting or some ba- scumbag or makes me want to puke, which is what, uh, which is what Criterion says. So, what's interesting, right, is, is he says it makes me want to puke. And then she asked the policeman, you know, what did he say? And it's not clear. Did she ask? She probably asked because she didn't know the vocabulary, but she may have asked if she didn't hear. What's really interesting is we don't know whether the policeman intentionally misquotes Michelle or if he didn't hear. So Michelle says, It makes me want to puke. Policeman says to her, She says, What is that? And he says, she, He said, You make me want to puke. Um, so he
0: says what is puke
1: <laughs> right what is puke um so it's it's like i, I mean how, how much ambiguity can you pack into one 10 second scene i mean that's that's it's it's amazing because you know uh, what was michelle referring to did the policeman really miss here was he intentionally mistelling, mis miss, uh, misquoting what is she making Or she's not even sure what puke means and then of course you know and then it, to put the put the lid on the whole thing Godard gives you her gesture at the end and that faint, faint hint of a smile. And what does that mean, right? right. And then she turns away from the camera. Uh, it's like, okay, you know, we're, so it's not, that's another way in which I think you could say that um, New Wave, so, New Wave is sometimes considered modernistic because it's interested in truth, but it's also sometimes considered postmodernistic because it complicates what, exactly what is that truth. And I think that's exactly what Gadar is doing here. It's the truth of life, but then it's the ambiguity of what what is that truth? What is the truth of Patricia at the end? What does that gesture mean? What does she become? We we don't we don't exactly know. We also know that she's chosen to betray the uh, the person who was likely the father of her child. So that's one other thing about her that we haven't talked about. When you talked earlier about her need for agency, she's also pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what exactly is how exactly is that going to turn out?
0: right and 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 is she going to have that child because i think the the conversation with the uh the the guy from the newspaper it seems to be she's been inquiring about aborting the pregnancy or something because he's he references like he gives her a book and says well this is a story about a woman who went to the doctor and it didn't go well or something like that
1: but and and also i in, in that conversation there's a there's a reference to i think if i'm recalling this right there's a reference to hemingway's story hills like white elephants uh, or white hills like elephants, and that's an abortion story where the two, for the couple are talking about an abortion without, of course, saying abortion.
0: Um, so, what else does Godard do? I mean, is this is this like this is his first film? But is this also? I mean, I realize this is his highest film in terms of like. When you like, like this is on the sight and sound list, very, very high. I think it's in the top 15. Um, but does he go? I, I actually don't know the answer to the question. Does he go on to make a lot more in terms of really significant films, or is yeah, I, I you know, I mean,
1: Gunnar has had kind of several different career phases. Um, but yeah, from Breathless in 1960 to about 67, he makes a number of really significant films. If you look at a list, you know, Godard has made, I don't know, 30, 40 films. But if you look at a list of, you know, what are Godard's best films, all of them are in the 60s, all of them are between 60 and 67. Um, and he he becomes more and more, um, I don't know if radical is the right word, but he kind of loses his audience. But I would say, you know, by, uh, another favorite film of mine of Godard's is in some ways not a typical Godard film at all. So it's a, it's a big, fairly big budget color, beautiful color film called Contempt uh, with Brigitte Bardot, Fritz Lang, Jack Pellens. So it came out in 62. That's a great film. He also makes uh, One or Two Things I Know About Her, A Man and a Woman, The Soldiers. Um, if you wanna see a film with an amazing tracking shot, a film like Weekend uh, from 67, Um, which kind of is a, it's a satire. It's a political commentary. So yeah, he, I mean, I would say uh, Alphaville is is kind of his venture into sci-fi in 66. So you could pick any Godard film from 60 to 67 and you're looking at some really interesting uh, cinema. It gets very uh, biographical. Uh, Anna Karina uh, becomes kind of his muse and that's his wife at the time. Uh, She appears in several of the films and, uh, um is a big influence on on him so yeah if if you do you know the next you watch watch contempt um it's it's a fantastic film and at the same time even though it's got kind of more hollywood production values it's got a lot of godardian touches including some really amazing camera shots
0: fantastic are there other things you want to talk about with this movie
1: um i i I just i just want to i just want to go back to the idea of um of this movie as as revolutionary um, as I, I already mentioned that, you know, Roger Ebert said that it's no no film since uh, Citizen Kane has had as big an influence. Um, somebody else talked about the idea that, that Breathless, everything, he says, uh, one critic said, everything that looks different about Breathless became signifiers of alternative, radical, independent film almost immediately. I think about the fact, for example, that John Cassavetes, uh, who is a filmmaker who has one of your favorite actors in a lot of his films, P- uh, Peter Falk. Um, he's obviously a, a descendant or a, an immediate outgrowth of, of Godard. Uh, and an, another connection that somebody made to Tarantino is said really nothing until Reservoir Dogs came along in 1992. Did anybody kind of shake up filmmaking in a way that, uh, that Godard did? Um, I also just want to go back again to that idea that um, that it's really because of the new wave that we've really cemented that idea of uh filmmaking as auteuristic. Um uh, that notion of the director as kind of the author of the film. That's that's really something that the new wave cemented.
0: Well, and I will say watching this uh what are we were 60 years after this movie came out, mm-hmm. uh it felt like especially visually, but it always like it still felt fresh and exciting and energetic. Um, which I, I was expecting, cause I knew it was influential. I was expecting to watch it and feel like, oh, I bet this would have felt fresh and interesting and energetic in 1960, but now it probably feels like everything else. But like, i still felt that way. I mean, it, to me watching it now, it reminded me of, um, we keep, we keep mentioning Tarantino, it reminded me of in 1994, when I went to the theater and saw Pulp Fiction for the first time, yeah, just in terms of like i've never seen this before like it like it like it just felt like there was this kind of burst of energy on the screen um and i this is a movie that i definitely will go back to because there is there is something uh exciting at its at its core and and something that just draws me back to want to watch it again so i yeah i i loved this movie i think it's i think there's so much to keep digging into with it and and i and i want to i want to watch it with different sets of lenses i want to watch it when i'm wide awake just for visual things i want to watch it and think about you know other small things like there's like there's little small things that happen like the car accident scene is really oh yeah strange and interesting i mean and and i think he references it once later he mentions mentions Mm -hmm. this but you know it yeah like uh, you know the thought of including something like that in there is really is really interesting and to just see the see how the different people react to it like the one guy walks up I mean the, this guy was just hit by a car one guy walks up and kind of like kicks the body a little bit. Yes. <laughs> you see um, you see uh, Michelle cross himself as he walks away and whether that's just like performative you know or, or reflex from growing up or something like it it's just it's it's just a really interesting moment to think, huh, you included that.
1: Yeah, I I also want to say, Sam, too, that uh, as I've watched the film again, this is maybe, I don't know, the sixth time I've seen it, but it's been a number of years since I first saw it. I kind of had a a response a lot like yours in terms of, I felt myself initially paying attention, and perhaps because I was teaching the film at the time, paying a lot more attention to the technique of the film and not as much to the story, but I think this time... I was more gripped by the story, and because my, my initial response to the film was, ah, they're not, it's not a very interesting story; they're not very interesting people. But but the more I watch it, as I kind of internalize the techniques, uh, the more I realized, yeah, there's a really interesting story here. And what you said earlier about about Patricia was not something I was capable of seeing. You know, the first even the second time I watched the film, but the more you watch it, and you're able to, okay, I, I'm. I appreciate that technique, I'm, I'm seeing the technique, but I'm also able now to see through the technique to the story, which of course was Truffaut's story, not Godard's. Um, I, I think that's how the film gains resonance. And then what happens, of course, is you're able to watch it. It's kind of like watching Citizen Kane, right? You're able to watch it for both. You know, look at all this great film technique, but wow, look at these people and look at the themes. So I, I think it's a film that very definitely continues to deepen as you rewatch.
0: And I will say one other, one other, Kane connection I mean Kane is one of those movies where I loved watching commentaries on it so like having people talk about it while I was watching it and that this is a movie I haven't done that with yet but I'm very excited to to listen to commentaries on this um, because I I'm interested in what are the things that people are picking up on and people are noticing so I'm I'm this is one I'm excited to revisit Uh Barrett what do you have for us for next week
1: Well, I think we're going to stay in France, and uh, I think what we need to do is we need to go back and watch one of Renoir's great films. I mentioned earlier that Jean Renoir was a big influence on Bazan and the new wave. So we need to watch the rules of the game, uh, which is uh, considered one of the, it's usually on everybody's top ten. list is one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, Renoir was doing Deep Focus before Citizen Kane. um, So I think we need to take a look at that.
0: I'm so excited. I, this was the I think this was the first non-assigned viewing I did on the Criterion Channel. Was watching this, and I, I'm really excited to watch this with my daughter, especially because mm. this is one that I think she'll uh, she'll really enjoy. I'm very excited to talk about this and dig into it next week. Barrett, thank you so much for uh, for recommending Breathless and for having this conversation. Um, as, as you said, there is before Breathless and after Breathless. That's true in terms of its existence as a movie, but also its existence as a movie viewer. It's like, now I am in the the after Breathless having seen it. Um, <laughs> and and I, I definitely am interested in, th- in exploring people who are inspired by films like this to sort of see the the dna of this film uh in other things so thank you so much for recommending this that is all the time that we have but we will be back next week to talk about the rules of the game in the video store